This episode covers sensitive topics such as mass murder and terrorism. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Aircraft Investigation, the podcast, the show where we dissect some of the most memorable and forgotten air crashes in aviation history. In this episode, we'll be talking about the first two airplanes that sparked the attack on the United States of America on September 11, 2001. This is a four-part series, and if you want to catch up, I suggest you listen to the episode titled The 9-11 Series, Al-Qaeda. But with that out of the way, I hope you're excited because I am, and without wasting any more of your time, let us get into it. The first aeroplane slash flight that we are going to talk about is American Airlines Flight 11. This was a scheduled flight for the, for September 11, 2001, rather, and it was a domestic passenger flight from, from Logan International Airport, Boston, Massachusetts, and was going to Los Angeles International Airport, Los Angeles, California. The aircraft in question was a Boeing 767-223ER, and their call sign was American 11. So for the purpose of saving time and not to get you confused with the other American Airlines flight, we'll be referring to American Airlines Flight 11 as American 11 or Flight 11, but mostly I'm just going to refer to it as Flight 11. On board, there were 81 passengers and 11 crew members. The crew. The crew consisted of Captain John Ogonowski, who was 50 years old at the time of the hijacking, and First Officer Thomas McGuinness Jr., who was 42 years old at the time of the flight. There was also a purser, Karen Martin, and eight flight attendants, Barbara Arestegui, Jeffrey Coleman, Sarah Lowe, Kathleen Nicosia, Betty Ong, Jean Roger, Diane Snyder, and Amy Sweeney. Amongst the passengers, there were five hijackers, Mohammed Atta, Abdulaziz Al-Omari, Walid Al-Sheri, Well Al-Sheri, and Santam Al-Sukami. When the hijackers arrived at the airport, the computer-assisted passenger pre-screening system, or CAPS for short, selected Al-Sukami and Well and Walid Al-Sheri for a further inspection. This system only checked their luggage, however, the three hijackers that were selected for the CAP screening were not further screened at the passenger security checkpoint. The hijacking. At 13 minutes past 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, the air traffic controllers told the pilot to make a 20-degree turn right and to climb to the cruising altitude of 35,000 feet or 11,000 meters, but they did not get a response. Then at 14 minutes past 8 a.m., the pilots of Flight 11 stopped responding to the requests that came from the Boston Air Route Traffic Control, or Boston ARTCC for short. At 16 minutes past 8 a.m., Flight 11 leveled off at 29,000 feet, or 8,800 meters, and then deviated from their scheduled flight path. Then at 17 minutes past 8 a.m., the Boston ARTCC heard unknown sounds on the radio frequency that they were using to communicate with Flight 11 and other aircraft. The sound in question was a possible scream. As a result, the ATC made attempts to talk to Flight 11, but they still got no response. At 21 minutes past 8 a.m., someone in the cockpit disabled the transponder, which meant that they, being Flight 11, disappeared from radar. 
From 23 minutes past 8 to 25 minutes past 8 a.m., the air traffic control tried to use the aircraft communication addressing and reporting system, or ACAS for short, to try and contact Flight 11, and the ACAS message read, Good morning. ART, my bad, let me restart. Good morning, ATC looking for you on 135.35. Please contact Boston Center ASAP. They have lost radio contact and your transponder signal. They did not get a response. Betty Ong, who was one of the flight attendants, made a call to American Airlines' emergency line and said, Okay, my name is Betty Ong. I'm number three of flight 11. Our number one got stabbed. Our purse is stabbed. Nobody knows who stabbed who, and we can't even get to business class right now because nobody can breathe and can't get to the cockpit. The door won't open. Number one was flight attendant Barbara Arestegui, and the hijacker stabbed and killed passenger Daniel Lewin. Due to the lack of response from the crew, Boston's ARTCC bypassed the standard procedure and went straight to contacting the North American Aerospace Defense Command, NORAD for short, or the East Northeast Air Defense Sector needs for short of Rome, New York, for assistance in locating the lost plane. Can you imagine how stressed out they were inside the air traffic control room trying to find this plane? Now they can't find this plane. Imagine if you were in that situation. Imagine if you were there on 9-11. And if you were, I would really like to know how it was like, to be honest. So just leave a comment wherever you're listening because I'm truly interested because I wasn't born then. I know it's really shocking. But these two groups cannot locate Flight 11. The crash. A flight attendant, Amy Sweeney, said moments before the crash, we are in rapid descent. We are all over the place. Oh my God, we are too low. Then at 14 minutes to 9 a.m., the hijackers crashed the plane into the North Tower of the World Trade Center, which is in New York. New York. Then when it crashed, Flight 11 was traveling at 404 knots or 465 miles per hour or if you use the metric system, 748 kilometers per hour, a car doesn't even go that fast. Let's tell the honest truth, it doesn't even go that fast. And the fact is, you know what, that plane, Flight 11, was carrying 10,000 US gallons or 38,000 liters of jet fuel. That is a lot of fuel combined with the speed, just like recipe for disaster, to tell the honest truth. Now, this plane, it hit floors 93 to 99 of the North Tower. Before I give my opinion on this, I'd like to read what Lieutenant William Walsh said when it comes to this crash, quote-unquote crash. He said, we were under the impression he looked like he was going down, but we didn't hear any mechanical difficulty. We couldn't figure out why an American Airlines plane would be so low in downtown Manhattan. We sort of expected him to veer off and go into the Hudson. But he just rose a little bit. His altitude leveled off and he was heading straight for the trade center. So just before he got to the trade center, it seemed as though he had gained power. We were all just watching his airplane on target for the World Trade Center. All of a sudden, boom, he disappears into the trade center. Wow, that is a lot. 
considering the fact that since this plane hit floors 93 to 99 so 93 94 95 all the way up to 99 meant that the building was collapsing as it is and we have to remember that this plane crashed at nine o'clock which means that there were people inside that building and i'm going to talk about the casualties very soon they're like right after i say this but that is a lot of people i mean here it says that it trapped and killed 1344 people and for my americans it crashed and killed 1344 people i tried we don't say it like that here in south africa but i tried 1344 people and hundreds of them died instantly when it crashed into the trade center of course nobody on board survived but others died from smoke inhalation and being burnt by the fire because of the jet fuel combining with the speed and all of that others were others died because they were stuck and trapped by the building's infrastructure like it fell on them and you know what just others fell from the actual building so imagine from i don't know the 80 something floor and they just fall because of the building collapsing and basically that's essentially what happened and as you can tell this crash affected and killed many 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 people but it's not the only one that killed other people that day i mean there were four hijackings four hijackings i'm going to talk about the malicious intent and every single thing in the fourth episode of the series but just put yourself there a lot of people lost family members a lot of people lost their lives a lot of people lost friends colleagues can you imagine because when i was researching this i heard that mark Wahlberg and i think nicole kidman was supposed to be on this flight but instead they decided let us stay can you imagine wow now because i said that is not the only one that crashed let's talk about united airlines flight 175 now this was a scheduled flight also for september 11 2001 and was coming from logan international airport in boston and was heading to LA Airport, Los Angeles, California. Now, this aircraft was a Boeing 767-200, and the call sign was United 175. Now, it is so ironic to me that the fact that the two, not even two, the four airplanes that were hijacked belonged to two airlines, United Airlines and American Airlines, and this one, I'm going to be referring to it as United 175 because there's another one called United 93. That's really shady. That's really shady. But the crew on board, there were 56 passengers. There were nine crew members. And in the cockpit, there was 51-year-old Captain Victor Sarakini and 38-year-old First Officer Michael Horrocks. Now, there was a person on board, Catherine Labori, and there were six Flight attendants Robert Fangman, Amy Jarrett, Amy King, Alfred Marachand, Michael Tarot, and Alicia Titus. Bless their souls. And amongst the 56 passengers, there were five hijackers who were Marawan Al-Shehi, Fayez 
Fanny Hamad, Hamza Al-Kamdi, Ahmed Al-Kamdi, and Mohand Al-Sheri. Now, I'd just like conclude by this that Hamza and Ahmed were brothers or cousins. All I know is that they might they might be related. But when the hijackers arrived at Logan International, they had trouble and answering standard security questions, but they were still allowed to board the plane even though they could not answer simple security questions like do you have a weapon? Or do you have any explosives in your bag? Um how old are you? What's your name? Those type of questions they couldn't answer them, which are suspicious and the fact that the people at Logan International allowed them to be inside that plane is like a mockery to the whole service of airport people but the events that took place during that flight okay so the actual flight was scheduled to leave at 8 a.m but instead they took off at 14 minutes past 8 a.m and if you remembered back to what i said earlier about american airlines flight 11 that was the same time that it was hijacked but at I'm really bad at telling the time to be honest, but I'm just gonna say at 8.33 a.m. United 175 was reaching the cruising altitude of 31,000 feet and not even and 31,000 feet or 9,448,8 meters. Then at 8.37 a.m. the Boston ARTCC asked the pilots of United 175 whether or not they had seen flight 11 because that was the time that they were looking for flight 11 also because remember it disappeared from radar their transponder was turned off then the crew of united 175 responded that flight 11 was at 29,000 feet or 8,839,2 meters and as a result the boston artcc told the crew of united 175 in order they told them rather to turn in order to avoid flight 11. Then whilst they were turning, they reported to Boston's ARTCC that they had heard a suspicious transmission from flight 11, which, and I quote, sounds like someone keyed the mic and said, everyone stay in your seats. Wow. This was, however, the last transmission that came from United 175. Now, 175 by the 9-11 commission i'm going to be talking about it in my fourth episode but just to like bring it in a little bit here um the 9-11 commission was a commission that was set up by the united states government to try and find out the cause and as to why the al-qaeda group decided to terrorize and hijack planes of um, passengers and if you actually listen to that episode about al-qaeda i did say that they wanted to attack the united states first to provoke them so that the united states can retaliate and so that they can be in a long full-on war that type of thing but united 175 is believed to be hijacked between 18 minutes past 18 minutes to 9 a.m. rather, and 14 minutes to 9 a.m. Then, at this point, Flight 11 was minutes away from hitting the North Tower of the World Trade Center. Then, in the United States, United States, my bad, in United 175, 
their cockpit. Hijackers Fayez Bani Hamad and Mohand al Shehi entered the cockpit and attacked the pilots. It is believed that they killed the pilots before they crashed the plane. But then Mohand al Shehi took over flying of the plane. Also, knives were used to stab and kill the pilots, as I have said, and the other people in that aeroplane that were fussing around, quote unquote. One passenger made a call to the ground, but then they were, you know, in the background, they were threatening that there was a bomb on board and that they'll detonate it if nobody just listens and all of that. And one of the visible evidence which showed that there was something wrong on United 175 was that at 13 minutes to 9 a.m., the aeroplane's transponder signal changed twice within a span of a minute and that the aircraft started deviating from its assigned course. Whilst this was happening, the changes weren't being monitored by the ATC because United 175's transponder was still on, which meant that they could still see the flight data, them being the ATC. Then the ATC then decided to make five attempts to contact United 175, but they were unsuccessful. Then as soon as they realized that they could not contact them, the Boston ARTCC decided to move and make new flight paths for the remaining aircraft in the air to make sure that they, being the other aeroplanes, do not collide with 175. Now, whilst the ATC was trying to remove the aeroplanes within the vicinity of United 175, they, being United 175, almost had a mid-air collision with Delta Airlines Flight 2315, who were flying from Hartford Brainerd Airport, Hartford, Connecticut, and were going to Tampa International Airport, Tampa, Florida. Now, it is reported that these two planes missed each other by only, get this, 300 feet or 90 meters. That is really small compared to the big size of those jets in the air. Now, whilst everyone was trying to move the other planes from United 175's vicinity, an air traffic controller, Dave Botiglia, sorry if I said his name wrong, but he was the first person to notice that United 175 was hijacked. So Dave Bodiglia decided to try and direct United 175 to turn, but the cockpit was unresponsive, and instead the aircraft accelerated and started heading towards Delta Airlines Flight 2315. Now, because he could not contact United 175, Dave decided to tell Delta 2315 to take serious measures because, and I quote, we have an airplane that we do not know what he's doing. Any action at all. End quote. Now, this was not the only plane that they, being United 175, hit. They also had a near collision with Midwest Express Flight 71, which was coming from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and was headed for New York. At 5 minutes to 9 a.m., a supervisor at the New York Air Traffic Control told the operations manager that, and I quote, we might have a hijack over here. Two of them, end quote. Then, at 2 minutes to 9 a.m., United 175 was over... New Jersey and was 28,000 feet or 8,534,4 meters above ground level and was headed for New York. Then Mohand al Shehi turned the plane towards New York City for the final time. Until the moment of impact, the actual aeroplane was in a dive and descended rapidly at 24,000 feet or 7,315,2 meters in 5 minutes and 4 seconds. That is small time to cover that much air or ground. Then Dave Bottiglia said in regards to this, we are counting down the altitudes and they were descending right at the end. 
at 10,000 feet per minute. That is absolutely unheard of for a commercial jet. Now, before the aeroplane crashed, Peter Hansen, who was a passenger on the flight, called his father. And if you want to click off now, I suggest you do because this is actually sad considering that this is a transcript of what he actually said to his father. Now, he said, it is getting bad, Dad. A stewardess was stabbed. They seem to have knives and mace. They said they have a bomb. It is getting very bad on the plane. Passengers are throwing up and getting sick. The plane is making jerky movements. I don't think the pilot is flying the plane. I think we are going down. I think they intend to go to Chicago or some place and fly into a building. Don't worry, Dad. If it happened, it will happen fast. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Now, as soon as he was done saying that to his father, a woman in the background screamed. Now the crash. This is like a really small part, so don't worry. But in his final moments, United 175 was banking to the left. So, yes, banking to the left. I don't think they went as high as 90 degrees, but probably like 60 or 45 degrees to the point where they were not level. But two minutes before impact, United 175 continued descending into lower Manhattan, New York. And I think the Trade Center is in Manhattan. I'd like to believe. I'm not really sure. But then at three minutes past 9 a.m., United 175 crashed nose first into the South Tower of the World Trade Center at over 500 miles per hour, 800 kilometers per hour, 200 meters per second. Of 430 knots. It striked floor 77 to 85 and had 9,100 US gallons or 34,000 liters of jet fuel. Now, this was really hectic considering that at the start I started off all serious and then towards the end I was just spitballing. But thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to catch up with the other one if you haven't heard it already. Tomorrow I'll be releasing US. Airways, not even US Airways, my bad. United Airlines Flight 93 and American Airlines Flight 77. But thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you in the next one. Cheers.